On September 6, 2018, a routine walk into work for 38-year-old Whitney Austin turned into anything but routine. Austin, who's from Louisville, was on a conference call while walking into the Fifth Third Office Tower in downtown Cincinnati when she found herself in the middle of an active shooting scene. Austin was shot 12 times and played dead so the shooter would not shoot her again. In those moments, while fighting for her life, Austin made a decision that if she lived, she would make it her life's work to fight for gun safety and advocate for change when it comes to our laws. She survived, and now the wife and mother runs Whitney Strong, a foundation that promotes awareness and aims to continue the conversation of stopping gun violence while sparking change. From WKYT Podcast, this is Uniquely Kentucky. I'm your host, Amber Philpotts. Whitney's story certainly made headlines time and time again on WKYT, but we wanted to go beyond those headlines. We wanted to talk to Whitney now, a year later, about, more importantly, how she's doing, but also about her foundation. So in order to catch up with this busy wife and mom and now someone who runs a foundation, we had to catch her on the road via her car. So she pulled over and gave us a few minutes for Uniquely Kentucky. I am joined today by Whitney Austin on Uniquely Kentucky, and Whitney is someone that we have shared her story um, over the last year. It was actually about a year ago, uh, September 6, 2018, that unfortunately she made headlines in um, a shooting out of Cincinnati, and Whitney, I'm glad that you can join us today. And before we get into a year ago and the things that have since happened, how are you today? I am far better than I deserve to think that I survived 12 bullets and I can, for the most part, do what I need to do physically each day. And I am in a very strong state mentally. I, I'm really good. I'm very, very lucky. That is wonderful to hear. Let's go back to September 6, 2018. Um, that was a routine day of work for you, or what you thought was going to be a routine day at work, going into the Fifth Third uh, Tower there in Cincinnati, right? Yes, absolutely. I went up to Cincinnati all the time, and that was, that was just a regular day. What was a little bit different is I remember my kids asking me for an extra kiss, and I was in a rush, but I took the time to stop and kiss them a second time, and that felt like the only thing that was really different about the day. I took calls on my way up to Cincinnati, and then as I descended into the city, I joined a conference call, and that was the exact conference call I was on when I walked into the shooting, and I think people get a little bit confused about that, but very focused, and I was very focused on that conference call, and so I saw things that seemed a bit odd, but I was focused on that conference call and ended up just pushing on a revolving door and walking right into a mass shooting. I remember reading that you said when you walked up to that door, it was shattered but still intact, and I'm thinking that had to seem odd, but again, you're telling me you were super focused, so I could see where you would just, okay, something's weird here, but this isn't for me. I'm going to keep going, right? Right. I definitely thought that it was weird, but I thought someone threw a rock. That's what I thought. I thought someone threw a rock, and that didn't scare me enough not to push on it, and so I did. I just dismissed that thought, went back to concentrating on the conference call, and pushed on the door, and that's immediately I was hit by a barrage of bullets into the right side of my body. 
What was going through your mind at that moment? So many things. What what I think people is hard for some people to comprehend is I had no question as to what was happening. I didn't spend any time sorting through that. I knew that I had been shot. I knew that it was a mass shooting. I think that is just a testament as to today's times and really how accustomed we've all become to what has happened within our country. And so I knew. And I immediately went into, well, how do you get out of this? How do you solve this problem? And quickly, what are my options? Okay, walk out. I couldn't. I wasn't physically strong enough to lift my body and get off the floor of the revolving door. I scanned Fountain Square. There was not a soul to save me. Mm. And my last option was pick up the phone, call for help. And as I tried to move my left arm, which wasn't functioning, uh, that's when I got shot again by a second barrage of bullets. And so in my mind, I just got shot again because I'm moving. Your best option is to play dead. And that's when things became very, very difficult. Um, I say the depths of despair. I was coughing up blood. I believed this was it. I said my prayers. I made my peace. And then out of nowhere, Officer Al Staples from the Cincinnati Police Department arrived. The rest of the police officers that helped save my life arrived. And I just totally changed on a dime. I'm not dying. You're not dying in this moment. This man is going to save you. And I worked very hard on communicating to him, you have to save me. I have a five- and a seven-year-old at home. They need their mother. I need to be their mother. You have to save me. And everything changed because of him. Because they arrived in such record time, everything changed. I have to imagine that those individuals being strangers are now people that you owe everything to and probably, I'm going to go out on a limb, but say you probably consider them like family, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Al is an amazing man, not just a man who saved my life, but on his own. Uh, he is an amazing man and has done so many amazing things for the Cincinnati community, and I'm just so lucky that that's who I am now bonded to for the rest of my life. And the rest of the officers that were there that day, I see them, I'll say somewhat regularly, everybody's busy, and they're all wonderful individuals as well, down to the nurses in Cincinnati's hospital, medical center, my surgeons. i I can't say enough wonderful things about the many, many people that came together to save my life. I find it so sad, Whitney, that, that we are in this age of our life where no longer when things like this happen and you're in the moment, and no one wants to be in the moment of that, but the first thing you think is, I'm really in a mass shooting. There was a day and time where that would have been happening, and I'm probably pretty sure you and I would have thought, what is going on? This can't be happening but now it's the normal. That's really scary to think about, isn't it? It is. It is very scary, and I think it's even more scary to think that I was thankful in that moment that it was just me and I wasn't stuck in that predicament with my small children and like so many other people across our country where that, that is the predicament that they're stuck within, and many of them don't get out. So that's, that's really what drives me to do the work that I'm doing is I know how horrific and how traumatic this is, and I don't want anybody else. Sure. I had read that you had been moved by other mass shootings, and, it, and if I have this correctly, I read that you had said sort of in that moment as everything's going on that you were so angry that you hadn't done something to prevent 
a situation like this happening. Um, and I'm wondering how you could even think that in that moment when you are fighting for so much. Yeah, it was in that brief, that is correct, it was in that brief moment that once I shifted from I'm dying to I'm living and this man is going to save me, he didn't immediately save me, which was an, another moment of brief frustration. <laughs> Why isn't he over right now? But I now understand it got to eliminate the danger mm -hmm. so that no one else can be injured. Uh, and so in that moment where I felt safe enough to think, all right, I've got a way out of here, I did briefly think about, you've done nothing. You've done nothing to prevent this. How dare you think you're immune to gun violence and that that is someone else's problem. And so people talk about survivor's guilt and feeling guilty that they survived and others didn't. I didn't ever per se have that. I felt guilty that I had done nothing to stop this from happening. So that's why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. Well, let's talk about Whitney Strong. Um, this is a foundation that was born really almost immediately out of this event in your life. When did you first have that idea that this is what I want to do? And, and let's, be, let's be honest, this isn't just another foundation to talk about. Let's take guns away from people. You really have a meaningful purpose to your foundation. Yeah, so within... 24 hours of being shot, I knew that I wanted to do something, and being stuck in the hospital for almost a week, um, my husband and I, my, my body couldn't do much, but my mind certainly could, and we spent a lot of time talking through, how can we approach this in a different way? This is an issue that, for example, in the state of Kentucky and even at the federal level, there hasn't been much progress, and, and why is that? And how could we approach this in a different way? So we didn't know exactly then what our mission statement or our guiding principles would be, but we knew very simply that we wanted to approach this from the center. We wanted to pull everybody into the conversation, and that means gun owners as well, because we ourselves are gun owners. And how can we do this in a way that pulls everybody together and with solutions that are proven to be effective? So. Those were the high-level ideas yeah. that then turned into more granular ideas over the course of a couple months. What have you seen in um, the short time that you have had uh, Whitney Strong up and going? What are some of the things that you've been able to either do or spark conversation or just get others really thinking about this? What have you seen? I've seen so many minds and hearts change. It's, it's interesting. Some people, you need to appeal to them with logic and with data and research, and other people, it's all about providing a human face to this, whether it's my story or many of the other survivors that I've come across. But like I said, we've been very focused on pulling everybody into the conversation. So whether it's the work that we've done through the Gun Shop Project, where we are partnering with gun shop owners to provide suicide prevention materials and educate the individuals on the sales floor as to what the warning signs are for suicide so that we can do everything possible to ensure that suicidal individuals don't have access to a firearm during that acute crisis moment. Uh, to the conversations we've had with legislators, one of my biggest accomplishments thus far is that we have a bipartisan coalition working on the only piece of legislation that we think uh, makes sense for Kentucky right now in trying to prevent suicides and prevent mass shootings, and that's extremist protection orders. We have Senator Paul Hornback, 
who is a Republican out of Shelbyville. We have Senator Julie Rocky Adams out of Louisville, who's a Republican. And we have Morgan McGarvey, who is a Democratic senator out of Louisville. And so I think those examples really just speak to we are changing minds. We are changing hearts. This is not about passing a bunch of laws that don't make sense. It's about taking those solutions that do make sense and moving them forward with everyone. How do we start, Whitney, do you think, the conversation, you know, in our own communities, maybe on a smaller level, because this is an issue that can divide people really, really quickly. How would you say if people want to, you know, get this conversation going in their communities, what's the best way that they kind of start engage that process? Well, so first off, I think that they should follow along with Whitney Strong because we'll give you plenty of opportunities to volunteer and participate, and you can do that through social media at Atwitstrong. But then secondly, I would really encourage you to talk to people who think differently than you. And if you are a non-gun owner, then talk to a gun owner. If you are a Republican, then talk to a Democrat, and vice versa. What people need to understand is we have more guns in this country than we have people. Four in ten households are gun-owning households. So we have lots and lots of gun owners, and a majority of them are responsible gun owners. So this is not about demonizing or ostracizing that population. It's about talking to them about what steps we can take to ensure that gun owners are responsible. So I think it really boils down to talking to people that have different opinions and doing it in a cool, calm, and collected way to figure out where do we have common ground, because we do. We absolutely have common ground. Did you even care to understand maybe, logic is not the right word, but, but the gunman in your case of where he may have been coming from, was that part of something that you needed or you didn't quite frankly care uh, what his reasoning was behind on why he decided to do what he did that day? And obviously he's not here to, uh, but, but learning or discerning from maybe you know what people were able to find out. Was that something you even cared about? So the, yes, absolutely. I'm a problem solver by nature, so of course I want to figure out what led to that day and all the steps before. What I always say is I am in a very unique position. I lived. I got absolutely everything I ever wanted out of that moment. So it is very easy for me to be a compassionate and forgiving person. I am not so sure it is as easy for someone who lost someone on that day. So I always put that disclaimer out. But there is lots of information that came out regarding his circumstances leading up to that day, a lot of it that points towards potential mental illness, et cetera. And so what I think about is what contributed to that day, what things went wrong in his life, where were there points of breakdown, whether it's not being able to get to the therapy that he needed, the care that he needed, who knows what other other points of breakdown existed leading up to that moment. But I mainly think about it from a compassionate angle mm -hmm. is where, where did things fail him to get to that point. Um, but it's a unique position to be in because, again, I'm alive and I got everything I ever wanted. Sure. What goes through your mind when you're like the rest of us and you turn on the TV and you see that there has been another uh, shooting of some sort or you get an alert on your phone? What goes through your mind in that instant when you see that again? Obviously, I've had a good amount of experience with that since September 6th of 2018. Sadly, I learned very quickly that I cannot 
pour into the details of those shootings because it sends me into a tailspin. Mm. One of the worst days was uh, October, so a month after my shooting, I had just finished my second surgery on my right arm, and as I'm heading home to Louisville from Cincinnati, there was the Kruger shooting mm. that occurred in Louisville, Kentucky. And worst 48-hour period ever because I was so fixated on just reading everything I could about it. And what got me out of that funk was Whitney Strong. And so when the next shooting occurs, I do my best to process it, say a prayer, you know, have a moment because lives were lost, but then I go right back to Whitney Strong because that is the thing that I can do. Reading details, being upset, that doesn't help anyone. Doing this, doing Whitney Strong can save lives. So that's what I do. Is Whitney Strong what you do now? Have you left your job? Is this your kind of full-time focus all the time? Yes, it is my, my focus. I uh, still have, you know, I still have work to do on myself in terms of physical therapy and psychiatric therapy. But above and beyond that, of course, in taking care of my family, this is my thing. So mm. I made the decision to pursue this. What's been the biggest milestone since September 6th that you have marked or that you have celebrated for yourself or for you and your family together? Oh, there's been a lot of silly just physical milestones that get me pumped up that I'm not sure others get pumped up by. But one was throwing a football, so I really wanted to throw a football. Now I cannot claim that it goes as far as it used to. But now, let's be clear. Could you throw a football before? Yes. Very good. Okay. Okay. Really okay. Well. okay. Yes. Just clarification for folks. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and then secondly, I can now lift my kids up. And oh. they're almost to the age that they don't want me to lift them up. So I just got to get there before they're too old and they say, don't touch me, mommy. So I got there. I see you being the mom that they're like 14 and you're still trying to pick them up because you can <laughs> and you work so hard to get there. Um, let's talk about this, uh, this therapy cat I read about. Um, you know, here you're a mom, you're, you're raising kids, you're trying to, to get through your own struggles and you get a therapy cat, but you named that cat for someone very special, didn't you? Alfonso the cat is named after Alfonso Staples, my hero who saved me. And we didn't anticipate getting a pet. It sort of just landed in our lap. But at that time, I could, we got him within a month of the shooting. I, could, I couldn't even use my fingers. I couldn't text people. So the idea of petting a kitty made sense in terms of therapy. So we're so glad we have him. Officer Staples likes to joke about it. He said, he says, really, you've got a kitty cat? I mean, have you seen me? You should have gotten the Doberman. This is embarrassing. So we joke about that. He says that Alphonse is a lion and not a kitty. Yeah, I was thinking it should be like, you know, a police dog, like a German shepherd or something. But maybe maybe the next pet will be that. What do you hope for um, Whitney Strong as you go forward? And, you know, what? obviously you've got this legislation, but let, let's say if I'm talking to you, 10 years down the road, what do you hope to have accomplished with the foundation? So I'm a business-minded person. I may have left the business world, but you cannot take the business out of me, plain and simple. I want to see that the number of gun deaths are going down year over year. Nothing else matters if we aren't actually realizing fewer lives lost. And then secondly, which is a little less business-minded and more coming from the heart, 
I want to continue to pull people into this conversation. I want us to look back 10 years from now and say, can you believe that was such a volatile topic, mm-hmm. but that issue was so volatile? Look at us now, everybody, regardless of what side of the political aisle and regardless of your gun ownership status, you've all decided to come together to figure out a way to save lives in a way that makes sense. Are there ever those days, though, that you say, why am I doing this? Has that happened? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's not easy. It's a very hard conversation, uh, especially with people that are cemented in their ideas. But if there's anybody to do it, uh, I think it's the gal that's been shot 12 times. So I'm going to just keep using my story to get the message across. Sure. Whitney, if people want to um, learn more about you, more about the foundation, they want to get involved, they want to be a part of the conversation, how do they find you? So one of two ways, you can go to WhitneyStrong.org, that's our website, uh, and also you can follow along on social media, which is at WhitneyStrong.org, and we're on all the platforms. Okay. You know, we named this podcast Uniquely Kentucky because it gave us the opportunity to talk to people like you, uh, that we could go beyond the conversation and talk a little deeper about things. And obviously, you were in Cincinnati when this happened, but that's right across the border. One of the things I like to ask people, what makes the folks here so unique and, and the people that get behind you and the people that have been there with you, what makes us so unique here? Oh, I think that it's, remember, I'm, I'm a Louisvillian, so I'm not a northern Kentuckian. Who knows if they'd say this? But I think those of us in Louisville and in Lexington, Bowling Green, and everywhere else, we identify as southerners. And there's just something about us in terms of hospitality and, you know, charisma and uh, congeniality. And I think we just we're good people, and I, and I know that because we just had our first event, A Night for Life, at the Muhammad Ali Center, and we had a lot of people come down from Ohio and Missouri, et cetera. And I'm just like, what's the deal with these Kentuckians? Like, that's us. We're just friendly, good Southern people. So that's my answer. Well, Whitney, um, I'm sure glad that uh, you are here with us. I hate that you had to go down this path, but... I believe wholeheartedly that you're probably here for a really good reason that in years to come we're going to see the difference because of it. So thank you for what you're doing. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.